Today's podcast is also sponsored by Sonos. For the first time ever, Sonos is offering the listeners of Game of Thrones podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code GOT10, capital G, capital O, capital T, one zero, at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back for, I think, our final wrap-up show of the season. Uh, Season 7. Yeah, Season 7. If you didn't know by the title of the podcast you clicked on, uh, we're we're doing the spoiler version of it. Spoiler? I never know how to say that. Yeah, you did it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There was an attempt. Uh, I know we've got a lot of feedback today. We talked about a lot of stuff on uh, the non-spoiler one, Mm -hmm. so I'm curious to see what else people have come up with that might be more spoilery. Well, let me satisfy that curiosity. Uh, Conan OB. I'm sorry. Connor OB. Okay. (laughs) Connor OB. I can only assume it's a pseudonym for Conan. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, there are three main things that come could come from this Volantis deal that I think could be significantly important to the outcome of the war. Now, you'll recall that uh, that's where Lady Melisandre is heading off to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where Tyrion first met this kind of like cult of the Red Priest and Priestesses. Uh, there's three significant things. Valerian steel smithing, Valerian steel, and a whole mess of R'hllor-related people that I think is exciting. We've got the Valerian steel guy on board. We don't need the Valerian steel. Who? Gendry. Who Gendry's on board. Uh, Sam's there. I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't have the recipe. <laughs> he will. He will. Anyway, Connor says, in the show when ice is being melted down by Tywin to create the two new Valerian steel swords for House Lannister, it is mentioned that the smithy he brought to do the rework uh, of the Valerian steel came from Volantis specifically. Hmm. So that's exciting. There's at least one smithy there who can work with Valerian steel. The latter two items are a package deal, I think. In Volantis, there is the main temple of the Lord of Light in Essos. This temple is said to be three times the size of the Great Sept of Baelor, and its walls are described by Tyrion as a hundred hues of red, yellow, gold, and orange meeting and melding into the temple walls, dissolving one into another like clouds at sunset. What does this sound like to you? Jim, like Jim it Jones. sounds like clouds at sunset. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a Bob Ross painting. It does. Happy little ripples. <laughs> uh, to Connor, it sounds a lot like every description of Valerian steel that I've read or mm, heard. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll go with it. Secondly, remember the red priestess that met with Tyrion and Marine Kinvara. Well, she just so happens to think that Danny is the prince that was promised Azor Ahai and told Tyrion that outright. She also just happens to be the high priestess of the temple. Wait, there's more. The Temple of the Lord of Light has its own private army of soldiers called the Fiery Hand. <laughs> These guys, there are about a thousand of them, are dedicated to protecting the sanctity of the Lord of Light and fight in some badass-sounding armor and robes of giant spears in the shape of flames. All in all, sounds pretty rad to me and can make an impact in the coming war. So, uh, I don't know if you're suggesting that the Lord, that, that the Temple to the Lord of Light is actually constructed out of Valerian steel mm-hmm. because... No fucking way would no temple. one Yeah, would no one notice a whole temple being made of Valerian steel. Uh-huh. Uh I like where your head's at as far as the Smith, and I like the fact that we already have a main character going over there for some purpose and is gonna come back. Um assuming that she's still serving light and life like she says she is, that might be interesting. Introduction of the fire I mean I it it would be kind of cool if a whole bunch of boats bearing, like, a flame came mm-hmm. up and just dumped a whole bunch of screaming religious fanatics onto the shores <laughs> to unleash against somebody's army. Yeah. Uh, I But but uh, is it cool enough to actually get into the final season of Game of Thrones without explanation? It might be. I mean, they've, they've certainly set up Melisandre as going over there to do something. And they have the high priestess they've already introduced. They've cast her. She's been yep. in two different seasons. Like, that 
there's enough there there they could do that for sure and she's also said hey i'm coming back because i gotta die here so we are gonna see her again i I have faith in that i think her with an army at her back would be kind of cool um I, i don't see any reason it couldn't happen it seems like that the male priests of the lord of light get the short end of the magical stick do they can they make a shadow baby Oh, that's a good question. Shadow butt baby, just yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem I don't know. like that would work. Like, or they'd have to have the use of a more of a non magical woman. Oh, maybe they can get if they they combine with the red priestess. It's like a super shadow baby. Uh huh. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. yeah, that sounds about right to me. <laughs> Unwilling to dip your toe into this theory? No, Jim? I hmm. no. It's a it's a very good question, and I think we should maybe if we ever have the opportunity petition george martin to answer it yeah i want to know what the male uh, yeah. pre- i mean that it could just be that's the way i mean it's 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 is it unfair that men are not allowed to carry children i mean is the way the the way of the i don't think i would call it unfair no no i don't <laughs> yeah i don't want that privilege I'm, I'm 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 happy that i'm excluded from that um but yeah like i i wonder i wonder ah whatever <sighs> um let's move on to liz w uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the discovery of the direwolves in book one now that Gendry has returned and we're all wondering why. If you recall, the direwolves were discovered orphaned as a result of a confrontation between a stag and the parent wolf, or at least the readers led to believe that due to the remains of the stag antlers. Yeah, so that if, if, you, if, you, if you recall, they found that this direwolf looked like it was locked in mortal combat with a stag, and they'd both killed each other, and the direwolf pups were there trying to to a nurse from a dead dead direwolf mama. Uh, in the first book, the Starks read this as an omen, a bad omen for the relations between Ned and Robert. However, the rifts were essentially between Lannister Stark, not Baratheon and Stark. Now we have Gendry and Baratheon taking up a new bro relationship between him and the would-be Stark, Jon Snow. I also think Jon's words that Theon are important that they belay or belie a fluid understanding of family and a level of agency in determining who that is. At his core, John is Ned's son, even if Ned isn't his biological father. Given this, do you think the stag slash direwolf foreshadowing might be relevant to Gendry's return and indicate a perilous future between he and John? I'll grant this is a bit tenuous and the wolves seem to have taken a back seat, but I'm going through the books and the remaining 18 months and this jumped right out at me. Hmm. Watch out. That direwolf will get you if he's jumping out at the books at you. Exchange oh, your book in for or your pop up book for the real thing. Uh, what? Yeah. So it's so so long ago in the books. Um, mm-hmm. Like what? Twenty years ago. I mean, but you're talking. Point, so are the hints that John is actually a secret Targaryen. Like, yeah, it's yeah. very hard to say what is and is not a deep cut for Martin nowadays. Right. It's tough, especially with his writing style. You know that that mm-hmm. gardening sort of style. Mm-hmm. How much did he have the outline back then? Did he know Gendry was coming back at the end? Right. And that's the thing about these omens and prophecies. You tend to look for like an initial fulfillment and then there's there a greater fulfillment or, you know, is this like a foreshadowing for the foreshadowing? I mean, my my guess is that this is a bad omen and it was a bad yeah. omen because both the Baratheon and Stark houses end up essentially being destroyed in their current manifestations um, by the end of the War of the Five Kings. Now, Starks mm-hmm. made a bit of a comeback. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe this suggests that the the Stark and Baratheon union will have a regrowth period because just out of that violence, there came these six direwolf pups. Uh, I, I just feel like that that's like a, it's, it's a litter, like you've got rebirth coming from death. So Gendry could be the you know the, these are the the muddy direwolf pups that are they're coming out of the the corpse of the mother. I, I what do you think, Jim? Yeah, I'm. It, my gut feeling on it is that it was meant to be an ominous, uh, bad omen for right. um, these characters, but it, you know it didn't it didn't quite play out that way. I agree with the emailer that. You know, it, it wasn't really Robert and Ned mm-hmm. that had the rift. It was more mm-hmm. the Lannisters and the Starks. Uh, so not not like a red herring exactly, but just right. something that kind of has, you know, bad bad juju for the, the story going forward. But I don't view it as like carrying over through the entire story. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go looking for trouble between the Baratheons and the Starks, 
I think there is a possibility that Gendry could fulfill um, part of what the fake Aegon or perhaps real Aegon hmm. uh, and John Connington plot is. It's going to be yet another political complication or distraction. And they're setting up several of these. There's already the like, well, who's going to sit up? Who's going to be the who have the right to rule? Is it going to be Danny or John? Is Gendry going to like, you know? And 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 also, are they going to really go through with that, or is this going to be? Like after humanity's won the war, are they going to the the, the great war that John calls it? Are they going to sit mm-hmm. down and immediately resume the petty grievances that, or are they going to break the fucking wheel? It could be that that's a false conflict that the heroes will swiftly overcome to show to demonstrate all this bullshit is still there. It's human nature, but they're choosing a different path. I I don't know. That's that's one way to look for it if you want to go looking for four gleams of trouble there. I just can't believe they're going to make Gendry into a bad guy. Yeah. Because, like, you know, at his core, Robert Baratheon wasn't a bad guy. He was a ba- terrible king, but not a bad man. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe be... he's a shitty man, even. Like, I just, you know. <laughs> In some ways, yeah. But a lovable. You know, like, uh, ra- he's a rascal. Uh-huh. He's a rascal, that Bobby B. Hey, everybody. It's the last week of our Game of Thrones Season 7 coverage. Uh, I think we're going to have another opportunity to talk about this, but I wanted to let you know if you were unfamiliar uh, I put together a project called the Game of Thrones Charity Pod Pack um, with about nine others. I think there's ten in total podcasts uh, in this thing. It's basically nine us and nine other uh, Game of Thrones podcasters all got together, produced special one-off episodes of our podcasts, and combined them all into a, a pod pack. Among who it. is this August company? Uh, there's a lot of people. We've got... Uh, Cast of Kings. Cast of Kings. We've got A Storm of Spoilers. We've got Pot of Thrones. and Jay and Jack. I'll say six more. Jay six and more Jack. In there. Yeah, Jay and Jack. They're, They're our right. podfathers. Yeah, certainly. I've been listening to them for a long time since their Lost coverage, which was was great and kind of influenced a lot of how we do podcasts here at Bald Move. Um, so it was awesome to work with them. And if you want to get that, you can go to podpack.baldmove.com. It's $9, I think, to get all of it. Um, a so buck a podcast. Save, save a little bit of money. Yeah, you can buy it individually. So if you just want, like, Bald Move or you just want uh, Storm of Spoilers or something, you can get uh, the mini packs. But really, I mean, it, it goes to a good cause. We're giving 50% of the proceeds to charity. Um, we're actually giving our entire cut to the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. Um, One of the local Houston charities that have uh, popped up. Um, yeah, to to try and help people who've mm-hmm. been affected by that because we 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 mistimed it uh we didn't know there would be a natural disaster on our hands that needed our support but. and there's another one i mean like shoot there's uh is it irma or uh that's coming down bearing down on florida oh is there could be a yeah. bad bad year in the gulf and uh we're, we're thinking about you and trying to send some money your way yeah so if you're interested in you know getting some special content and helping in supporting charity uh go to podpack.baldmove.com to check out the pod pack and buy it. Uh, Bob F. Uh, so we have Jamie Lannister on his way to Winterfell. When he gets there, he's going to have his first meeting with Bran since the fateful attempt at base jumping. Will this meeting trigger Bran's memory and help him remember the cause of his fall? This would give Arya a chance or a cause to take Jamie's life in his face. His face would give her the chance to get close enough to Cersei to mark off the biggest prize on her list, but also <laughs> fulfill the prophecy of the younger brother would be the one to take her life from a certain point of view. Uh, this is a pretty novel attempt to actually explain a situation where the Volunkar prophecy could come true in an Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of way. Yeah. Because yeah. all this is true. Like, Jamie's heading north. He's going to meet Bran. Like, what the hell is that going to be like? Is he going to... Con- mm-hmm. Like, I, I think... I can't imagine. So, if I'm Bran... And I discover, hey, yeah. I've got powers to see the past. Right. That's the first thing you would do. The first thing I'm going to do is go look at the moment I got paralyzed and, like, analyze it from every angle, right? right. Like, I'm going to have that thing on instant replay in my head 24-7. Right. It, there's no way he gets there and Bran goes, oh, yeah, I should check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I It would behoove Jamie if he just confessed in the beginning, not make Bran have to get get the card catalog out and go walking <laughs> through the library. Uh yeah. But I, uh, I mean that that would be. I could see him being in. Uh, I don't know. Is that a, the the thing? Is is that a fitting end for Jamie? Because because he's no longer really the guy who would throw a kid out the window. Oh sure, yeah. But he did commit that sin, and he has to answer for it. Mm-hmm. I don't think losing his hand 
is answering for it or not. Now he's lost. It's his, debatable. Yeah, he's lost his children. He's lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's lost a hell of a lot more since. I that, I guess you're right. It is debatable. All right. Uh, good, good, uh, good efforts for not novel, novel, novelty there, Bob. Uh, Josh L. Uh, I wanted to note there is a zombie bear in the books. It's almost fitting that you're about to start season two when the Night's Watch headed to the fir- fist of the First Men, as that's where the zombie bear shows up in the books when hmm. the White Walkers attack the fist. Of course, the actual attack is technically in a storm of swords in the prologue to season three, but close enough. That also explains why the Double Ds have wanted a zombie bear for four years, since they would likely have first thought brought that idea up when brainstorming that scene. But since they were still in the keep most battles off screen era of their budget, I guess it fell by the wayside. Hmm. Yeah, okay. uh, I was wrong about that. Also, someone else reminded me that there was a zombie polar bear attack uh, of Bran, Mira, and Jojen. Why they were still north of the wall, trying to get to the the cave of the Three Eyed Raven. Uh, hmm. that uh, they all managed to defeat with the help of Cold Hands and Summer, and they were all starving, so they actually ate <laughs> the still writhing and moving and partially rotted bear meat. So hmm. there are, there are, and that's also um, two examples, because uh, I mistakenly, or I, I don't think I mistakenly, I said I refused to comment on the possibility of animal whites in the books. Yeah. So they are definitely animal whites, and there's definitely zombie polar bears. Hmm. Dexter G., there's something that everybody's ignoring, including you guys. The show has made a huge plot point out of genetic profiling. Ned Stark was killed in season one for realizing that all Baratheons were black of hair and all Lannisters were golden hair. The quote being, the seed is strong. The producers have been very consistent with keeping the type separate. Every Targaryen we've seen has platinum blonde hair. My theory is that we have been thrown a curveball. Ned's sister was not dragged off and raped by Rhaegar, but she was in fact raped by Robert Baratheon. Who did love her and did start the war over here, but he told the story the way he wanted it to be told. Black-haired Jon Snow is not going to be found out to be a Targaryen, but is a Baratheon. All the evidence points to it. All, all the evidence. That's the the thing, color of his hair points to that's it. That's the point that cracked me up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on. I, I mean, All the genetic evidence points to one thing. Yeah. We, we've talked about this many, many times. We don't view the color of an actor's hair to be a signifier of much of anything. But that's, I mean, because that's, they've changed the appearance of so many people in this show, you're right. and it's so fucking annoying because that's got to be still standing out as one of the dumbest plot points in the book. The whole seed is strong, uh-huh. um, <laughs> and it would be kind of funny if like John, Aaron, and Ned Stark just had a stupid country bumpkin thumb up their ass view of biology, <laughs> right? And they drew the right conclusion from wrong evidence. Maybe one of the books that Sam stole is going to be actual genetics uh, study. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, really? Hunt Two blonde hair people for, can for have dummies. a dark haired yeah. child? Yeah, yeah, oh, right. no, it says it right here in Maester right. Poop Stacks journals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he kept the track of number of poop stacks and also <laughs> every genetic pairing in all of Westeros. Right. Uh, I just don't buy it. I don't think they're going to go that direction. And that's the thing, like, uh, I mean, First of all, I don't. I think this is a bad idea for Mola because you say all. I mean, I I have to strongly contradict you. Almost all of the evidence in the books points that John is the 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 child, and, and, yeah. and to fact to an inversion of that would be very foolhardy in my in my mind. So mm-hmm. it's not like an idea of like the the idea is sound, but I don't like that. I just I don't like anything about this theory. I think that's it's it's the the original seed is strong is a garbage plot. That mm-hmm. never doesn't even make sense in its own fucking universe, um, and isn't even consistent within the books. And the building building theories on top of it just seem like I feel like I'm just beating the shit yeah, out of uh, poor Dexter you're here, dropping a poop stack. On uh, him. Also, when he became a lumberjack and moved to Canada, it was terrible, Dexter. Uh, you <laughs> let us all down. Uh, also, Dexter, what's up with your name? Uh, you know, what kind of uh, last initial is G? Uh, go fuck yourself. No, I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to, to go over the top so you'd feel better. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why that would work. Hopefully it Because the seed is strong. It makes no sense. It doesn't have to. The, the insults are strong. <laughs> uh, Paul D. Had an epiphany about the fitting in for Jamie and Cersei's character arcs. I think we're starting to see the pieces fall into place that will set up the dramatic end for Jamie and Cersei, and I believe it will mirror Jamie's slaying of the Mad King Aerys during Robert's Rebellion. Yeah. 
flashing back, as you know, the Kevin Lannister and his troops uh, are at the Tywin or Kevin, and one of the Lannisters at his uh, troops with his troops at the gates prior to the sack of King's Landing. The Mad King Aerys sensed his imminent demise and ordered his ma- master uh, or master pyromancer to ignite the caches of wildfire hidden throughout King's Landing. Jaime, mm-hmm. to protect the city, killed him and murdered Aerys, becoming forever known as the Kingslayer. I think the show is setting up a similar ending for Jamie, Cersei, and Kyburn. Uh, we know Jamie is heading north to fight alongside the north in a true battle of the living versus the dead. But if and when that battle is won by the living, we can certainly expect John and Danny to march south to claim the Iron Throne from Cersei, who abandoned them in this fight. I believe this is going to mirror Robert Baratheon's army marching south on King's Landing during his rebellion. So Jamie rides ahead to try to reason with Cersei, urging her to save her own own life by surrendering to the approaching army perhaps similar to Aerys, cersei will let jamie through the gates to join her in protecting her seat on the throne and also their new child however jamie will not be able to convince cersei and she will be convinced that all is lost for her wanting to protect her baby from an invading army's hands uh similar to what she was preparing to do with Tommen in the poison during stannis's attempted sack cersei will order kyburn to ignite new wildfire caches under this king's landing to burn it to the ground uh, Cersei's already shown Jamie she is willing to use wildfire to murder hundreds, if not thousands, of innocents, and Jamie would be convinced she'd do it again if put in a corner. In this situation, I believe Jamie will have to fulfill his character arc by doing what he's done before. Uh, so there you go. That's that's there's a there's a few more paragraphs, but that's that's yeah. that 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 uh, has Jamie fulfill his larger purpose as the king slash queen slayer. It also fulfills the Valonqar prophecy. Um, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if some version of this is what ends up happening. Yeah, the details are all, like, you know, just kind of pure fan fiction at this point. But but I the, think overall, like, the, the narrative structure of that makes a ton of sense. That's where it, I think it stands apart from mere fan fiction is yeah. it, it has a sense of historical mm-hmm. significance. It has a sense of kind of, like, these themes recurring in Martin's works. It also satisfies the Valencar prop. Like... You know, there is it's it's not it's not long on evidence, but as far as, you know, plot mechanics and character motivations and wrapping up things in a nice neat end, uh and a truly tragic situation for uh, for Jamie. Like mm-hmm. I don't imagine Jamie ever loved the Mad King. Sound like he was over him as soon as he joined the Kingsguard and kinda of saw what the hell was going on. Yeah. But he did like truly love Cersei. I don't think anyone would argue otherwise. Cersei are yeah. a loving Jamie back. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Allison P. Like a lot of people, I'm a big hater of this whole plot to take a white to meet Cersei. On its face, it seemed far out of character for just about every one of the major players. I found it particularly irksome that Tyrion was the one who came up with the plot. Uh, Tyrion knows Cersei so well. At one point in the show, it's even said that no one knows her better than him, yet he misjudges her so egregiously in devising the plot and apparently believing that she will get on board with him. Which got me to thinking, what if Tyrion's motive was not to convince Cersei, but to convince her brother Jaime instead? What if she knew that Cersei, or what if he knew that Cersei is too far gone to ever convince, but Jaime, who's more reasonable and logical, could be persuaded? Not only would bringing a white get Jamie on board to fight the White Walkers, but it could ultimately get him to turn on Cersei completely and help them in their fight for the throne. And they say that, and Jim, hmm. you say... I say, hmm. I say... I... It seems almost too stupid. I'm, I'm with you here. It seems almost too stupid of Tyrion to think that this idea could ever work, that he would ever convince his sister to drop her arms and help him. Um... And in that regard, I like the the idea of this being something other than a plain reading of what's happening. Right. But I I don't know. Like, what good does it do to have just Jamie? No armies, no anything. I, I suppose it separates the two, which are kind of feeding each other um, and and making them both stronger. So by separating Cersei and Jamie, it it reduces their overall power. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, I mean, aside from that, it, it seems like a big fucking risk to send right. 12 people, seven of which are super important, mm-hmm. north. <laughs> Other five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to try to try to get Jamie, because Jamie isn't really important to their cause at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and here's but, the thing. But maybe it's something else. But it just doesn't seem like it could possibly ever be the plain reading of the scenes that we've seen. Also, why wasn't this in the script? If, like, it would have been, like, it had been so easy for Tyrion to float this and, like, half a dozen people in the room be like, there's no fucking way Cersei was, and he could be like, but we don't have to convince Cersei. We right. just have to convince my brother. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there was a little bit in that, like, when he was explaining, like, him going to meet with Jamie, like, I can't convince Cersei, but I can, like, you know, my brother will listen to me, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. I felt like that, if, if they just wanted to make that explicit, they should have. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, the fact that Tyrion partially accomplished his mission, like, I mean, I mean, you, you got to separate Tyrion's goal from his end result. His goal was to have Jamie convince Cersei to mm-hmm. back them in this play, which even Jamie thought he did. So then the the half goal was what well, he peels off Jamie but he doesn't get Cersei. Right. Um which still like you said that that deprives her of valuable military counsel and a good a, a good to decent military leader and you know emotional support. Right. So like I said I like the theory too I just don't know why it wasn't in explicit in the text. Maybe that's not what they're doing. No, oh, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's not what they're thing. going after. I I do think that the plain reading is that the double D's thought that I don't know why, but they thought that people would buy. Yeah, I don't know. They it thought just, that all these characters thought it was a sound plan. The, the less, and that's the thing. Like, if if they had if they'd made explicit that everyone thinks this, I mean, they did. That's the thing they did, but for the wrong reasons. Everyone yeah. says it's stupid because it's so dangerous. And that's not the problem. The, it the, just doesn't work. The danger is like storming Normandy was dangerous, but it was sound tactics. You have <laughs> right. to start somewhere to take back France. Like, uh-huh. it'd be one thing if. Um, you know, they decided to storm Australia. <laughs> it doesn't accomplish like, the goal. Well, yeah. the, da- the Aussies are dangerous. Plus, how does this win us the war? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, you, that's what they like. They they only objected to how foolhardy and dangerous it was. Not that even if they win, that what? How the hell is this going to make Cersei magically on their side? Yeah. And anyway, the less said about this, the better. Because like, mm-hmm. I feel like we've set our peace. I appreciate all attempts to. Try to make it seem logical in hindsight, and maybe we'll get there, but not quite yet. Uh, Raphael G., you both seem pretty convinced that Euron's going to pick up the Golden Company and essentially abscond with him since he has the gold and no reason to stay with Cersei. Abscond sounds very romantic. Convinced. Like he's going to Rhaegar the entire. Strong. He's going to be the Rhaegar to all the Golden Company's Lyanna. And yeah. He's just. They're going to have a very, very nice life over a blonde-haired baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 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 seed the seed is strong, but they don't sow. So how would their seed? Be yeah, strong? that's a good question. Uh, anyway, uh, however, I'm not so sure about this because of the characterization of the Golden Company from the books, mm. although a common refrain from them is "beneath the gold, the bitter steel." In reference to their founding, uh, their actual words are "our gold, our bond is as good as gold." They're famous amongst the mercenary companies of Essos for never breaking a contract, which is why in the books it becomes big news when they break their contract with one of the free cities to join Aegon and John Connington. Only their oath to Tar- Tar- Targaryens is stronger than their uh, word for their contract. Hmm. Could this come into play in the show? It seems unlikely that their characterization would vary so wildly that they'd be okay with Euron just up and forcing them to switch sides, breaking their contract with Cersei. It could, yeah. I mean, if that's within the character, certainly. The, the problem is, is this this is only a book thing. So, mm. is it necessary for the Double Ds to respect all of this book lore that they? I mean, they right. could just be using the name because it sounds dope, mm-hmm. and it's a nod to the book readers. Uh, and also, I have um, I have an inkling, and I talked of this in my conversation with Kim that you know, to the extent that some of this stuff, this Golden Company, Euron might be a little bit of a remix of the fake Aegon, or perhaps real Blackfire Aegon, or maybe just real Aegon. Um, that there's just this is just yet another further complication for the struggle to unite the human part of the realm. Maybe that's what they're doing. Like you know, they're taking Euron's attempt to. Marry Danny with Aegon's attempt to impress Danny to woo her into a marriage alliance by conquering Westeros, and they're boiling those down into a stew. And the Golden Company got thrown in there, and that's going to be a, a blending consolidation of all those plot lines. Yeah, could be. But um, as far as them actually, I mean, they'd have to 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 take it to the extent that you're going, Raphael. They'd have to do a lot of like explaining, like oh, the go- like, and they should have done it this mm-hmm. season, like yeah. oh, the Golden Company never breaks their crown. Maybe, maybe they did. Was that like when they, she was talking to Nestor or whatever the hell? 
the the banker from the Iron Bank. Maybe they mentioned mm-hmm. the gold company and the fact that they never break their oaths. Or I mean, they might have mentioned it in passing, yeah. But, but the fact that I'm as I'm struggling to remember it, maybe in in you know, like I, if they did get it into the show, then I guess it satisfies my. Can you explain it in a five second previously on? Uh-huh. But I just I just don't think they're they're playing at that level. Before we get any further into the podcast, I just wanted to bring up our sponsor for this week, which is Sonos. And you've probably heard us uh, talking about them for the last five weeks or so, five, three, something like that. Um, it's an odd number of weeks, to be sure. It definitely, either one, three, or five, or, or 47. Uh, so they sent us um, a couple of setups. Aaron got one, I got the other. Uh, we hooked them up to our televisions, or at least I hooked them all up to my TV. Because um, I wanted to experience. Oh God! You weren't supposed to do that. It's like crossing the beams. Well, they they say I can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they don't they don't say don't ever hook these up. Uh, they're meant to be played. But basically, it's a uh, they want to be played. It's an in home sound system, and you can use them a couple of different ways. Like I said, I hooked them up in a five point one configuration mm-hmm. um, with the play base hooked up to the TV, and then all wirelessly of course the subwoofer and the two play ones which are kind of satellite speakers for the rears um and i was i'd say blown away by the the increase in audio fidelity i'll call it yeah that's a word that audio files use right sure uh it, it, it seriously was night and day like it's greek for means sounds good <laughs> is that true fidelity yeah sounds, five sounds means right sound to me. and delity good <laughs> uh but i actually I've been listening to TVs with just the TV speakers, no like sound system. And also, I will because like this is this, ten years. This used to be a, a a pain point between you and I. You had you had yeah. the base model mm-hmm. of a particular Samsung TV that has the worst tinny sound and speakers I've ever it heard. It was terrible, and the difference between like the music and the voices was such like a drastic change that you mm-hmm. you would turn it up to hear the voices, and you would get your head blown off by the the score right when it came in. Uh, this sound system has pretty much cured all of that. Like yeah. it is so well balanced, it sounds great. Um, it it really was night and day compared to my old TV speakers. Now I, I was uh, my Samsung was one of the the you know, it's an older but it's still one of the like top of the line models and it always had mm-hmm. pretty good speaker system. Um, but I had the same deal where if the mix wasn't just right, you'd have to turn up for dialogue and get blown out. I really appreciate the fact that there's a mode that you can put the the play basin where it it emphasizes the dialogue. Yeah. So like even if it's like it's you can do so many cool customizations that the software automatically takes care of, and that was the one that I really enjoyed. Yeah, especially for you know when I'm watching to get my outline together. Yeah. I'm like, what did they say mm-hmm. uh, on my old speakers? Now I'm just like, oh yeah, that's totally what they said. Cool. Um, you've got yours hooked up in a different configuration. Yeah, I didn't right? go with the five five one. I went with the uh, Playbase and and the uh, uh, the the subwoofer, and I took my my ones and sprinkled them throughout the house. There's one in the kitchen, one in the bedroom, and it's what's cool is you can expand or contract that mesh to be as big or small as you want. You can have all the speakers playing the same thing throughout the house, mm-hmm. or you can have them all playing something completely different. Yeah, which is cool because you know you might want to be listening to some. Some music upstairs while you want to watch TV. I've been using a lot because I cook. I do most of the cooking in my family, and we have this kind of like open floor plan where the kitchen you can see the TV through the dining room through the kitchen. And a lot of times I have to crank up the TV to unbelievably loud levels to hear it. But now I can actually have the satellite speaker relaying to me, and I can still watch mm, TV yeah. from far away and not be blowing out the whole house with whatever I'm listening to. That's so cool. it's. It's so flexible, and mm. the fact that you don't have to run cords or wires anywhere, and the setup is super easy, uh, just very impressive piece of gear. Yeah, all of being wireless is a really good feature. You just need power. So I've I've got my. I, I would never have set up a five point one if I had to run speaker wires, because it just it's ugly. Yeah, but uh, these are much easier. So yeah, right now we're doing a promo uh, with Sonos for the first time ever. They're offering listeners of the Game of Thrones podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less. It's actually no longer the first time ever. It's like either been one, three, or five weeks. Well, it's, the time is... It's what fun is time, to, Yeah, you know? like maybe Bran is is seeing all these advertisements at right. the same time, and he's also the Night King, and he wants to buy a sweet audio gear setup for the Three-Eyed Raven's <laughs> Cave when all this is over. Because uh-huh. you know the acoustics in there are tricky. Yeah, they are. How does he take advantage of that offer? Uh, he can go to Sonos.com, uh, look for any of their products and, and get 
10% off uh, an order of 2500 or less. It's available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. But you can use the promo code GOT10, and that's capital G-O-T-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. Uh, for the final time in Season 7, want to remind you that a great way to support Bald Move and everything we do here, because uh, the only way we can do the depth of coverage and the breadth of coverage we have is by doing this full-time. We've been doing this for several years, and largely... Uh, supported by the generosity of our listeners. And you can be part of those uh, that community by going to club.baldmove.com, joining the club. It's not all altruism, folks. You get a lot of cool bonus material. If you like hearing Jim and I talk about stuff, we do a lot more of that on the club. We have uh, first-run movies with uh, full spoiler thoughts. If you want to hear the, uh, our thoughts on the latest movies coming out, we've got uh, Quit Your Pitching and Lunch with Jim and Aaron, other bonus audio content, almost all of our podcasts we film live by far the quick you can't get any quicker access to a podcast than watching a person make it Mm -hmm. that's just science unless you're brand stark and and you transcend the laws of the purely mundane and i don't if anyone does like that's why you you probably are a multi lottery winner also can you get us screeners (laughs) yes at the very least at the very least can can you can you watch it a week in advance and and, and give it to us uh because that would be that would be sweet and 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 helping us uh, produce this podcast uh everybody else can can support us by going to the club if you're not Mm -hmm. clairvoyant you can go to club club club.baldmove.com uh check it out and hey you get to try for 30 days free just by signing up uh check it out club.baldmove.com ben w Every time you talk about the Valonqar, you seem to settle on the conclusion that it would be most likely turn out to be Jamie. What about the fact that prophecy says hands, emphasis on the plural? <laughs> Jamie's unable to accomplish that because of his complete <laughs> lack of a set of hands, just a thought. Ah, uh, uh, okay. I mean, he's got Good me. Good point, yeah. You're right. That's something we're all overlooking. There's, he cannot wrap his hands, plural, around her pale throat <laughs> yeah. and choke the life from her. Is that an actual concern? Uh, wow. Because you kind of caught me flat footed on this. Here's one. the thing, though, Ben. Uh-huh. There's also this symbolism of Tyrion choking out Shay mm-hmm. with a golden chain that's literally his, his one of his badges of office. It's interlocking links of golden hands holding on to each other. Mm hmm. So there's already this, like, you know, hands of gold kind of mocking song. Um, I wonder if that, 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 that this is actually going to – he you know, because in the book, in, in the show, he's got this weird kind of, like, fetish, <laughs> fist, fisting ready kind of, like, it's, it's in the duck shape ready to be inserted <laughs> kind of gold hand. Uh-huh. Like, it could be that he's got, like, you know, maybe a, he's got a gold hand ready for grasping. Yeah, choking hand. Yeah, and then, then he's just got to – because then you just got to get the gold thumb over the windpipe, your living hand over the other, and you've got to push down. Hmm. I feel like I've thought too much about strangling <laughs> Cersei at this point and Jamie's gold it's, fisting ready hand. It's never too much when you're talking about strangling <laughs> Cersei. Uh, or being fisted by Jamie. I mean, look at him. He's gorgeous. Um, all right. So there's my attempt at like, I, I mean, that's a good point. It, I just, yeah, I just it, don't know how closely they're going to follow it. Also, you got people willing to bend the Volunkar rules to have Cersei wearing Jamie. Like, how sti- what what kind of a stickler, prophecy stickler is Martin going to be, <laughs> yeah. it turns out? That's all good questions. Uh, Sarah Z. We don't know if John is truly, quote-unquote, alive or just a fire white like Beric, but we do know that Book Beric finally dies when he passes his life force along to Lady Stoneheart. What if the only way that John and Danny can have a baby is for him to die and pass along his life to conceive a new one? If he sacrificed himself to begat an heir, that would fulfill all the tragedy we expect from Game of Thrones while not possibly or why possibly not mattering whether he's quote unquote alive or not. I wonder what that looks like on screen. What? Passing <laughs> one's life? Yeah. Passing your life force by killing yourself hmm. into a child. Like Hmm. Here's the noodle bender. Yeah, uh, I kind of think they're hinting at the fact that Cer- that that Danny's already made this sacrifice because they made a big point out of her saying these dragons are one to one my children. Mm-hmm. One of her and 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 she paid for those lives with the lives of Drogo and her unborn child and Miriam Asdur, and she got three dragons out of result of that. One of these children died, so is it possibly to be argued that? The gods of Westeros owe her one? 
Yeah, she's got one coming. And now she's she's getting she's getting boned by John, and you know what happens when that. Ha- I mean, I I, I wonder if. Uh, I wonder if this is already a done deal that the Viserians died and there she's got a she's got a free one she got a freebie she got a one up she's got a, she's got only, a one up only one a up dragon mushroom. can pay for a baby that's what the <laughs> faceless men say right yeah only a dragon or only a baby can pay for dragon it's it's a fungible it's exchange rate you can yeah. have one horse mounted warlord a <laughs> middle aged witch it's and a barter system. Uh, stillborn child and you put them all together. And you get a you get you get three baby dragons in return. Hmm. Uh, Richard from Austin, Texas. I don't know if you guys have discussed this theory, but what do you think, Germ? Or do you think Germ would end the series by having the White Walkers defeat the human race and controlling the Game of Thrones universe? Sure, sure. I think he could do that. We haven't played that in a while. The old question: yeah. What is what is George Martin playing at? Mm-hmm. Um, is he like like is he trying to tell a cautionary tale of when like if, if humans can't get the get the shit together and you know when we're f- f- faced with some sort of implacable threat and we were helpless against it? Yeah. Um, is he telling a story that's just going to leave us completely gutted and wanting to die like I was after <laughs> the Red Wedding when I right. read it and I literally had to stop reading the books for two weeks and save up the strength to continue on? I I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I I think whatever message you're you're trying to get across, there are a couple of ways of approaching it. One, you can show the consequences if you don't, um, you know, work together. Like, let's say, for instance, he's trying to say, yeah, this is what humanity can do if it works together or what it what it deserves if it doesn't. Right. Um, You can show the consequences. Which is that's how you know, the, the that's, how, that's how Tolkien did it. Like you know, he has Frodo looking in the mirror, and he sees all these horrific things that could happen if he doesn't have the strength to find in him to take the ring and throw it in the mountain. Yeah, it just so happens there are more movies after that, or more more books right. after that. You know, but it didn't um, have to actually come to pass for Frodo to see that it's a bad bad deal. Right, right. So maybe at the end of this, it does come to pass. There's no moment where you look in the mirror. It's just that's the end. Yeah. And you've now paid for your sins. But right. the other way to tell it is you overcome the things that are separating the people. And right. they all get together and you show the results of harmony and unity. Right. And I think either of those could be a fitting into this series. Uh, it just kind of depends on what the guy wants to do. Yeah, is he going to keep subverting fantasy tropes till the very bitter end? Right. Or is he going to try to find... I think a lot of people expect him to find some middle path where, like, yeah. it's the it's the you know the bittersweet ending that he's trying to steer towards. Yeah, where it's not a soul stomper, but it's still it's it's going to be maybe a tearjerker. That's true. If he says bittersweet, I don't think the Night King ruling that's all just, of the land is bittersweet. That's I just think that's ash bitter. in your mouth. Yeah, like what does that even taste like? Right. So I don't know where the sweetness would come. Probably there. acidic, volcanic <laughs> ash. I'd imagine is acidic. Yeah. It would taste like a sour. More of a sour, <laughs> sour taste in your mouth. I don't know. Go lick Iceland and find out. I have a vial of uh, Mount St. Helens ash. I could look at the, you know. That... <laughs> yeah. We, we got, is it too late to do a stretch goal for the pod pack? No, it's not. <laughs> at 10,000 US dollars, Aaron will lick, lick us Mount, Mount St. Helens. Helens. No, no, I will not. I will not do that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's, who, uh, who knows, I guess. I mean, We'll have a lot more confidence after next season to where, like, what kind of story George is going to tell. Because I do find mm-hmm. it very highly unlikely unless George is just a complete, like, completely unethical in a way that I didn't, don't suspect that the story is going to be radically different from yeah. the books to the show. So only have 12 to 18 months left to wait. Walt McSee. Forgive me if you've already discussed this on the past recording, but after listening to last week's spoiler cast and discussion of two horns, Dragonbinder and the Horn of Joraman, I was curious if you've considered these two in relation to the cover art of The Winds of Winter. I'm sure you've seen the image, but I've attached it in any case. Back in 2016 on his blog, Gurm confirmed that the image is official, at least at the time. The horn featured on the cover seems to share similarities with both the Dragonbinder and Horn of Joraman, black in color, gold banding, derived from an aurochs, etc., and how they're described throughout A Song of Ice and Fire, though I'm curious if it may being featured indicates that there's still a role one of them play in Season 8, or whether it's more proof that the two narratives have forked and George's tale will take a much more different route to reach the same destination. 
With Season 7 behind us, I can imagine one or two being used in the books to either bring down the wall or used as a tool to tame an ice dragon. Your thoughts? It's definitely a horn. On the cover. Yeah, that's the uh, thing. So here's the thing. I was completely ignorant of this because if you don't know the people that are joining us, I really tried to – because I thought in back in 2015 that The Winds of Winter was just around the corner because mm-hmm. he's releasing all these preview chapters and this stuff was coming out. And I stayed because I'm like, well, shit, if the book is going to come around, why do I want to read seven or eight unconnected chapters from it, half of them that were cut from – dance with dragons anyway why don't i just wait a couple months and get get the full effect yeah uh i was forced to start delving into that material when i got assigned some panels at this uh, con of thrones that essentially made me delve into that kind of stuff so then it's like but yeah i had no idea this image was circulating or and it was um it was shown to be uh authentic Mm -hmm. so uh i mean that leaves me in a bad spot because uh Yes, it's likely in the books that there'll be, you know, obviously this dragon binder horn is going to be a thing. Mm. Um, I don't know what kind of thing it's going to be, but it's certainly, it's in the world. It's speeding on the way towards Danny. Uh, what is it going to do? I don't know. The Horan Joraman seems like it was introduced as a um, a wildling threat that they could destroy the wall with it. Now, it later turns out that that was just a bunch of bullshit, that they didn't actually have the Horn of Joraman. They had some fake thing that they found in some dragon or some some uh, uh, giant's barrow, and they were bluffing. But that doesn't mean that the horn doesn't actually exist, and mm-hmm. the myths around it are not real, and that the Night King might not, with his thousands of years history, already have it in his possession. Yeah, and we kind of discussed, um, you know, how the horn. There's a horn in the show that we think could have been the dragon binder horn. When they found the cache of dragon glass back in season two, yeah. Yeah, but they kind of dropped it in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we kind of talked about, you know, whether they would bring that back up because they could um, with a few previously ons, like you said. Right. Um, they could certainly bring that back up. But at this point, like now that the wall's down, mm-hmm. Unless the Night King has that tucked in his back pocket, I don't really know why he would need the Dragon Binder because he took down the wall with the dragon that he already controls. Yeah, so, like is he going to control Drogon while Danny's sitting on him? But you can see in the book where in the book it's totally different because yeah. in, in in the preview chapters of the Forsaken, they're like you know I talked about this theory about Euron maybe trying to make a bid for himself to be a dark god or he might join himself to the others, and if he foolishly brings Dragon Binder with him, then it's yeah. possible that the Night King has both. He can steal a dragon without a use of a magic spear, and he can blow down the horn without the use of a magic dragon. And that's where it gets tricky, because like I, I mentioned behind the scenes, the Double Ds, when they talk about the dragon being turned, that seems like something they freestyled. Right. But it also has been wild, like speculated for as long as I can remember that the, there would be an ice dragon, dragon that the Night King has. Mm-hmm. So this could be them blending stuff for narrative economy. It could be they think it's a, you know, they, they, they've already got too far that they can't introduce these horns and this machinations from right. the Night King. So this is just a way to kind of make it all blend seamlessly together. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think... A horn will be significant in the winds of winter because the other thing is like I guess sure. you know the ideas of the winds of winter is they blow right right yep. and like you got this horn that's blow like it's like also horns are sounded when things are in, in times of danger and distress like mm-hmm. there's also a lot of purely symbolic ways that that horn could be significant yeah but I mean I'm, the the wall coming down is one right yeah the horns blown three times and right. i know it's a different horn than the horn that you're talking about but right that's the three horns for the others horn. and then it collapses yeah. at the end of that that's mm-hmm. i mean that you're right that could be a little bit of a nod to the future book readers as well yeah but it's tough because again like who knows where the double d's in and martin begins and vice versa at this right. point you just have to kind of piece it together from interviews and until we get the books it's it's very hard to see john m now that we know that john's true name is Aegon, what do you make of this quote from the books Five, this is from Daenerys, uh, the first chapter in A Dance with Dragons. Five Aegons had ruled the seven kingdoms of Westeros. There would have been a sixth, but the usurper's dogs had murdered her brother's son when he was still a babe at the breast. If he had lived, I might have married him. Aegon would have been closer to my age than Viserys. 
This quote plus Danny talking about marriage in season six, episode 10, Littlefinger talking about them getting hitched this episode, the baby talk and a parallel between the last dragon and the wolf marriage makes it feel like this is definitely both where George is going and where the show is going. It's interesting because one of the surprising things that came out of my conversation with Kim is that she was very reluctant to accept the fact that John and Danny would become a thing. (laughs) Whereas I... I mean, I guess for my – if I put my reader's hat on, as I always suspected they would be a thing, I just didn't think it would end happily. Mm, So it was kind of shocking that there was so much kind of mental resistance between George even putting them together because you see stuff like this and you see – um, like I said, there was that there was this uh, cool Reddit post that like just round up like twenty, thirty quotes in the first few books that kind of point to John being a king, um, hmm. and 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 ruling. That, that that seemed like it always was a, a natural thing for them to do. I don't know. Did it shock you that John and Danny got together? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I, it's certainly like I, I don't know. It, within the universe, I don't have a problem with it at all. Mm-hmm. And I kind of never Wait, really. Wait, that implies did. that out of the universe, you do have a problem with it with incest. Yeah. No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure. Again, I totally do. Firm line against uh, incest in this podcast. We are a we are a no incest having <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wasn't like as resistant to the idea. And you can assume every other podcast out there that has not made a stern denouncement of incest is secretly Therefore, incest supporters. Yeah. So that's a safe. That's just that's just logic. I mean, why else wouldn't they condemn it? I can't imagine there's a podcast out there that hasn't a brought up incest and b come out against it. Oh, there's a lot of podcasts out there. That's what about true. the? That's true. What about the Wincest Game of Thrones podcast? <laughs> the Winds of Wincest from the uh, from the Mother Son Boy Love Association. <laughs> that's a real thing. I don't know why yeah, iTunes I puts up with it. it, but you know, you're right. I was uh, nipping at her heels. The Wincest podcast. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I didn't have a big problem with it. Okay. And, and when it happened, I was like, yep, that totally feels right. All right, well, that's it. We is a short spoiler week because Jim and I actually have to board a plane to uh, fly to Chicago very mm-hmm. early. Tomorrow, uh, we usually record on a Friday, so that cuts the, the feedback in, the, in half. Um, so it's a little shorter than normal, but we will, you know, again, spoiler section is no longer going to be its own podcast for the season two podcast. It's most likely going to be just an add-on to the, the main podcast. Um, it'll be at the very end, so people that don't want to be spoiled. I don't know why I'm telling you to this, telling this to you because you guys are going to be all diving into it anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, it's not like we're going away. We'll still have another ten plus weeks to discuss this stuff throughout our season two coverage, which is kind of exciting because season two again, great, great year, and we're going to see. Yeah. You know, one of the things will be interesting to debate is when we see this just just cash a dragon glass, they find it the fist of the first men. Like, mm-hmm. actually, because it's been a couple of years since I've laid eyes on that horn, yeah, and see like, oh man, I wonder if that's something that could have happened. It's not going to, but uh, it's going to be exciting. We're going to start it up next week, send in all that stuff like you do normally. Game of Thrones at baldmove dot com. Of course, the forums are there if you discuss it there. Uh, you can also follow along if you want to keep track of what we're doing on all the social medias slash or at baldmove. Uh yeah, season two coverage starts next week. Uh, we will be there. Hope you, hopefully, you will too. Uh, until the next time we see you, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Bye bye.